And welcome to another episode of Two Medics and One Mic. Your presenters are Imran Lasker and Thrusha Gudwatna. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Two Medics podcast. My name is Imran Lasker. I'm a consultant radiologist. Hi, I'm Thrusha Gudwatna. I'm a cardiology registrar, subspecializing in intervention. I am medic underscore Russell, otherwise known as <laughs> Russell. Um, I am an, a SHO emergentologist who is blocked by Piers Morgan. Oh, wow. It's my it's my claim to fame now. <laughs> so we kind of moved on from Comex Club, is that right? We're... That was the joke of the last like five years, and now that Piers Morgan will be the thing for the next five years. What's the backstory to that? Piers Morgan. Oh, I don't know. Someone like quote tweeted him and, I, and it came up with the whole like, this person limits who they can view. And I was like, oh, Piers Morgan's locked. And then I clicked on it and I was like, oh, no, I'm personally blocked by Piers Morgan. That's amazing. So what you got, you're so big that you got preemptively blocked. It wasn't even... Well, like at some point I tweeted something about his like the way he was treating Emma Raducanu. Uh, but yeah, and I think you've got like a hundred likes, so I can't imagine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it sounds like you've got, you've got the red card, Russell, on Pierce Morgan. Dude, I actually don't know. He doesn't even know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll rescue. So like, uh, this is a tweet by uh, Dr. Lucy Henshaw, who uh, was talking about basically abuse received from patients towards staff. And it can be amongst, I mean, her particular tweet, I think focused on racist abuse, but we know that harassment is a thing, right? And uh, trust do kind of bleat this kind of policy of uh, zero tolerance. Zero tolerance is a thing. But I'm sure as a A&E casualty officer, you come across interesting characters and stuff. What's your approach to it? Yeah, I mean, sort of, I suppose like, the front door does get uh, a little bit more abuse than other places, just based on we have more intoxicated people, etc. And I, I've personally been on the side of it. I think my favourite was one guy I was walking past. So we had one of my jobs as an FT, we have these like um, depth phones rather than bleeps. But I had one on this guy that was in police handcuffs was like, can I, can I borrow your phone, mate? And I was like, well, no, because it's, it's mine for my job. And he called me a fat cunt with shit hair. And I was like, both those things are true, but it's kind of rude. Um, I, feel like, <laughs> I feel like that's not an uncommon kind of scenario, Aww. both at work and in my private life. And sympathy Aww. for me. But like, with those kind of situations, like we do have quite good policies in, in, in ED where our matrons, you can kind of email them and be like, this thing happened. These are the people that saw it. And depending on the severity patients will receive kind of a yellow card or a red card yellow card kind of being like your behavior is unacceptable if you do it again you'll be banned from the hospital and red card essentially being if you are if you have a threat to your life or limb we'll treat you but otherwise mm. you are banned from the hospital so we definitely see a bit more in ed but how do they get enforced like so i guess people will book in at reception right and they'll go and see a triage nurse and something called what like flags up and then the triage nurse is supposed to be like yeah, get yeah. out Exactly. So it comes up as a flag on the system. Same as like, you know, MRSA or whatever yeah. comes up as a flag on the system. It'll come up as like, you know, threat to others yeah. or whatever. And it'll come and there'll be like a documentation from site managers or whoever to yeah. say that um, that's the situation. Then you have a chat with them and say, yeah, so turns out you're not allowed to be here. Bye. So how, fair enough. How do you go about getting someone, allocating someone that red <laughs> card though? Like, who do you speak to? So he takes a patient. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's good. And the patients go to a meeting with their educational supervisors <laughs> and they have like to reflect on it their knows. Um, it's a whole system through show. Have you not come across yeah, it? Um, okay. Classic yeah. cardiologist, completely obtuse yeah, to the way the rest of the hospital works. No, ge genuinely, all you've got to do, uh, I've done this, you just tell them to go see the GP. What's the issue? Just go talk to the GP. Easy, done. Um, <laughs> no, no, at least in my experience, you it's sort of through our matrons and the senior nursing team normally, all the consultants, and they contact the site managers and the, whoever else in the kind of higher echelons of the hospital that I do not understand. 
and then a letter gets sent out to the patient to basically say this is what's happened sort of through the power service I mean, that's it. I, I, I can imagine it being. Quite, I mean, thankfully, I haven't been in. I mean, I, yeah, of course, I've had some situations where the patients have been quite uh, aggressive, but thankfully, um, not aggressive enough to get red carded. Like, where, where, when do you know to draw the line? Like, wh what is the line? Is it violence? Is it racism? You know, comments on your weight. You comments on your hair. I mean, I'd be very upset if someone commented on my hair. That's a red card straight away. Yeah, I think it's totally unfair. I mean, you know, my <laughs> hair was worse back then. I'll give them that. And I was bigger, so fuck it. You, you know, have amazing hair. You. Tell me more. I, I don't know. I'm sure there are trust policies, these sort of things. Like, I would hope that racism and violence and homophobia and those kind of things are quite zero tolerance. I guess, like, the person who proposed to the BMA about kind of being able to refer doctors who are engaged or involved in conversion therapy, being able to refer them to the GMC, I guess they probably thought a potion was going to be like something that pretty much most people would agree on, right? But that generated a lot of heat. So about, I think it's like 35% of um, the people involved who voted anyway were voted against that motion. I mean, it would be interesting though what, on what level they, they said no. I mean, you know, these numbers came about like what why would they even come out with something like that? Don't you think? Like, I mean, I was saying earlier today, like, I do, I do find that a lot of people just seem to worry about what everyone else is up to the whole time. Uh, and when it, when it comes to this kind of thing, you know, like, people are living their lives doing, you know, living the way they want to live. Like, why is conversion therapy even a thing? I, I just don't, I just don't understand, like, uh, where anyone would come from. And, you know, I remember when, I don't know if you remember this, Therusha, but I remember when we were doing training and maybe things have changed since that. We were doing GP placements and there was like a little blue slip to sign for abortions or something. And they were saying that there may be some people who don't want to sign that blue slip because they may have some allegiances that feel, they may feel that they can't agree with it, but they would therefore recommend that they go to another doctor or someone else within the, within the surgery to go and get whatever forms they get signed off with. I mean, do you think that could be something to do with it? They just have a personal grievance and um, uh, this is the way they deal with it. I suppose it kind of comes from like, as, as the resident homosexual on the podcast, I'm not going to be defending these people in the slightest. Yeah, of course, yeah. I presume an element of it comes from, you know, people from all walks of life become doctors. And mm. so there are going to be cultural and religious aspects where, you know, some areas of society don't accept sexuality that isn't heterosexuality. Mm. And mm. so they might support conversion therapy, I suppose. I just kind of like wonder though, because they were, they, I don't know if there were, some of them are medical students or whatever, but like, even so, like, because uh, I'm not sure if like that's even, that's not even defendable. I mean, I know that you're kind of doing that. You're trying to offer some kind of explanation for this bizarre, for that bizarre behavior. But like, there's no, mm. where, what's the evidence for conversion therapy anyway? <laughs> like, mm. There's no evidence for it either. There are no high quality RCTs and systematic reviews for <laughs> <in> conversion therapy. <laughs> Through like it's the new vitamin C and sepsis. Come on, guys. But like it's, it's something that has no. It's like completely baseless. I kind of wondered if there might have been coming from the perspective of oh, but not the GMC. Like maybe that's a bit extreme or something along those lines. But I don't know. I I just think it's a completely indefensible position to take, and I, I just it worries mm. me that it's thirty five percent. And lots of people were saying kind of oh, you know, not sure if we should be BMA members. You know, if that's so many, such a great proportion of them think that way. But then I guess you're more likely to change things mm. if you're. I remember they're not. It also kind of left me like, what, like, you know, don't get me wrong, I'm not a particularly clever doctor, but I don't know what, what does a doctor add to conversion therapy to like yeah. ivermectin? Like, like what's, what role are you playing as a doctor in conversion therapy? There's no like diagnosis for gay. Yeah, There's no exactly. drug to treat gay. Like what's, 
what are you trying to achieve mm. that? Clearly, like for some for some people out there, they're, they're classifying homosexuality as an illness, right? I mean, that's that, that's the only mm. reason why it could even fall into the the remit of uh, a doctor's job in their own in their own minds, I guess. But that's the thing, like we. It's, it's difficult to really know, like, who comes out with this kind of stuff. And do you think, like, doing sort of, you know, I remember back in medical school, to find, you know, we used to do this, not OSCEs, those role play sessions. Sometimes you used to yes. bring out, yeah, a PDS or role play sessions where you have, like, an actor come in and act out a scenario. Sometimes you'd really see what a person's really like and you weren't quite aware of it. I mean, is, it, is that a good test to find out, like, you know, how people would react in certain situations with certain, with certain uh, patients and stuff? Yeah, it's, I think it's interesting. It's like my med school is very comms heavy and sort of medicine quite light, really. <laughs> but the, we had like one session during, I think maybe during sexual health, kind of a couple of weeks or whatever, that was very like LGBT focused, which is quite good. Mm. And kind of, I suppose no one, no one out of themselves as like a, a massive homophobe or being keen on conversion therapy. But it was certainly really interesting to see like, uh, I remember like one student and it was kind of like even now it was kind of cringe where there were there were a student taking a history from a woman who had abdo pain or something and she was like could you be pregnant the woman's like no definitely not and she's like well you know do you have a partner the woman's like yes I have a partner and like well so you could be pregnant then and she's like no definitely not <laughs> and you mean like you're in the LGBT session take a fucking <laughs> <laughs> and then it, and then like they kind of get onto like could it be PID or like an STD or something like that and she's like so you know does your husband wear condoms with other people and you're like oh god you take and too so, literally <laughs> you know it, and it kind of it, it was a real eye opener that you know for them <sighs> Other people, well, no, no, but for me as well, could be like, ah, uh, there's still quite, there's quite intelligent people who live in a very diverse and multicultural city who still are completely like blinker to the idea that maybe the woman has a wife, yeah. not a husband. Mm. Even when you're sat in a rainbow flag wearing fucking LGBT concession, <laughs> still haven't quite grasped so the hint that maybe this might not be about that cishet kind of people. Mm. Um, probably not the same as the people who are uh, voting for freaking conversion therapy but you know certainly yes there are there are certainly other attitudes within medicine that aren't maybe as free thinking yeah. and as eye-open as others i mean I, I remember there was a, a guy that we used to go to uni with and you know he, he was a fairly calmish guy he, he kind of to himself I, guess, I suppose but then actually when he we did this session where the person the actor was meant to be quite aggressive patient and uh, you know you'd think that they they diffuse the situation you know and do all the kind of standard stuff instead he actually almost got into his face and almost got into a fight and they actually had to stop that he actually stopped the entire you know the act and then the actor complained about the student and the student got a whole load of a whole load of grief but it just makes you wonder like you know what do people really get up to yeah. when they think they're in that situation you know like is this mm. uh, i mean how is it, are we testing the people the right way by doing this kind of this testing mm. Did you hear much, you know, from that story that kind of triggered him? Because there must have been certain things that the actor must have said to just kind of make oh. him feel like it was... Do you know Do you know much more of the story? I mean, if I remember... I mean, it's a long time ago, but yeah. I do remember... I might have been on that that particular station or that particular thing. And I think, the, if I remember correctly, the guy was just the... He was just upset about his treatment, right? And I right. think he just felt like he was getting the wrong end of the stick. But what had happened was that the the, pay, the guy that was with us who ended up getting into an altercation that almost got into a fight, he took it personally. He took it really, you know, with me, I, I mean, I guess I'm, I try to be laid back as I can. You know, if you're going to complain about the system, you complain about the system. I'm, what am I going to do? Like, I'm not going to change it. And, and even now, like, uh, I say, you know, go talk to GP about that. It's easy, done. But um, 
like <laughs> but with with this with this colleague of mine he took it very very personally that the the person wasn't happy with everything yeah. and you know when he took it so personally he reacted personally and ended up getting into you know, almost an altercation yeah well, i mean that links uh, to something yeah. quite nicely to the tweet by a tech priest where he said that there was a station where the simulated patient started voicing racist remarks like that'd be quite hard to not take that personally right because i feel like that's crossing some kind of line right? isn't it or well, also it's, it sounded like in the tweet itself that like they commented on the fact that tech priest is a person of mm. color like during the which is yeah that's kind of stepping beyond the realms of Adolski yeah, yeah. yeah yeah i mean how far do you want to take this i mean can you imagine the briefing to the uh, to the the actor That's or the again. actress you're gonna be racist <laughs> yeah just this one's brown so go down this yeah, route yeah. like oh. <laughs> they, they've got a name that sounds like this so i would go down this particular area to really yeah, yeah, yeah. you know <laughs> do this accent really really push it uh, i don't know how i'd react it's, in that situation what would you guys do so we had, like, during my last acute med job, the, the education fellows were trying to do a bit more, like, sort of in-situ sim stuff. And actually one of ours was a conversation kind of based around this, but they did it a bit better in that you had to go into a patient who, you know, the scenario was like, oh, the nurse has just come out and said this patient has racially abused them. Mm. And so you've got to go in and kind of sort this situation out or kind of uh, tackle this situation. I suppose that's a bit different because patients not being abusive to you, you know, doesn't matter necessarily what race this this, this fake nurse was like mm. the, the idea is is exploring kind of the, how much of it do you say this is the yellow card or red card kind of similar as we say it before mm. um which i think is like a valuable oski type thing because those situations do occur in real life as as much as they shouldn't and unless you've kind of prepped for it and understood kind of what your role is in that situation it's kind of really through you whether it's useful in med school i don't really know um i'm not sure I, mean, if... I wonder whether i wonder that you know with medical school and all of us and the way we go into medical school the way we go through medical school and it all feels a bit sort of sciencey based and a bit researchy and you're trying to learn how the mm. body works but actually when you come out the other end what you'll find is that most patients are uh, they think you're a good doctor if you've had a good interaction with you. Yeah, you know, if, you, if you've been happy, you've been very polite, yeah. you know, you've you've interacted with them, maybe relate to them on a, on a, like a personal level or some level, right? But those are skills that aren't really, really pushed that hard in, well, our medical school, I don't know how you felt through it, but it was there, but not really. It wasn't as big a deal. And actually, you'd do better if you were academically focused more than you were if you were sort of more very good at nonverbal communication and dealing with people and, you know, getting getting people to feel at ease. And you do wonder that um, whether there should be more focus with that kind of thing, whether maybe we should have more regular sessions with actors and mm. actresses who, who are good at dealing with, with emotions and controlling their emotions and harnessing their emotions in a positive way. That could be quite useful, no? And I sort of alluded earlier about Bart's being very common space yeah. and not at all science or medicine, but like every block, you know, you're doing your cardiorespiratory block and then there would be like, at least a day if not two days of like communication oh, skills good. around that oh. and it would be like you know history taking and then they'd throw some sort of spin in about you know this person's really breathless and really upset about the fact they're really breathless mm. and how you're going to cope with that mm. and sort of really early on it was there was a focus on the con skills like the things we'd have like whole sessions on showing sympathy mm. or, or whatever so i guess it's kind of shifting a little bit did you find it helpful uh, like did you find that you kind of learnt lines that you maybe still use now or do you find did you find that when you're an f1 and you're because you have to I'm, speak I'm so sorry to hear that yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah like i'm sorry to hear that 
I think it did. Like some of the ones that I think really helped with stuff like say the Breaking Bad news. Yeah, yeah, sure. Where mm. it was just like a safe space to be like, how do you break it? Do you skirt around it or just go? Situation is dead. Like mm. kind of, it was like really kind of an opportunity to explore what your style is mm. in a safe space, which I think I think was really helpful. As much as we kind of joke about it, I think it's. it's I feel like it served me well. I don't know about necessarily other people. No. You're um, right. I think I think Breaking Bad yeah. News. I think getting taught on that was uh, actually very very good. I mean, not that I do very much of that now as a radiologist, but definitely as a junior doctor. <laughs> believe it or not, I used to be the guy they used to send me in to deal with the difficult patients, and actually a lot of the time. I found the only reason I was doing better than my colleagues in the situation was just to sit there and listen and take a beating if I had to. Mm. So like I had patients, I remember there's one one patient, they came in and they kept coming in the right iliac fossa pain and every time everything came back normal. And I think eventually they went to surgery because you know, clearly someone keeps coming in with the right iliac fossa pain, even if things mm -hmm. come normal, you've got to look. And they looked and everything came mm -hmm. back normal. And so this really upset the entire family. And then they were, it was so annoying. They literally called me up back to the ward and said, can you go speak to this family because they're quite upset and you're pretty good at this. So I went in and all I did was just take a battering. Like at first it was a dad, then mm. it was a mum, then it was a daughter herself, and then there was a brother. And I just stood there for ages. I literally- Then the nurse joined yeah, yeah. in, the patient officer had a guy. It was- Why just get him run weak and yeah. I, it was It was painful, it really was. I just kept quiet and kept quiet for ages. And they actually, oh, they ran out of steam. Genuinely, they ran out of steam. They're like, this guy's just not giving anything back. And I was like, <clears throat> Anyway, uh, we've done as much as we can. And I think, you know, I think you should go home and see how it feels. You know, I went down that whole route. I did listen and that was, that was it. That was the key just to keep quiet yeah. and listen to the, to them be upset about stuff. Cause who is it going to talk to in that situation? And I think, well, I, I think our own tone can make a big difference with these situations, right? Like if I, if I did go into that situation and come in with my arms crossed and that sort of nonverbal communication that can make a big difference to a consultation. And I'm kind of trying to get to this other tweet that came out recently where there was a female colleague who said that they were called abrasive in the work context and they, they should watch their tone. Did you see that? You know, and this is why women colleagues always say, no worries if not, thanks so much. Sorry, just checking to see if you did that thing you said you would. Because if they don't, if they don't kind of be a bit slightly apologetic in their questioning of a job or, or of a situation, they may come across as being a difficult person to work with. Have you guys noticed that? Have you, have you, I mean, Tarusha, you were saying that you have to think about your email sometimes. Oh yeah, I mean, is like that, that is a really, really good thread. They talk about how you have to kind of be fake nice. And I do find that when I send kind of emails and whatever, there are just way too many exclamation marks. It's like a kind of, sorry to bother you. Thanks for this, and blah, blah, blah. And it's all, and then I'm reading it. And I'm like, I'd actually speak like that really. But you mm -hmm. do it because I guess you're trying, you're just trying to come across as like um, agreeable and things, right? But I mean, obviously this is a problem that women encounter and there's a, I think it's called apparently the double bind. So the double bind is the idea that if a woman is too nice at work or uses stereotypically female vocal characteristics, she's seen as too soft and won't be taken seriously. But on the flip side, if she's too assertive, she's seen as brusque and bitchy. Mm. Like you have to operate in this kind of really weird tightrope. Yeah, sorry, so like it's interesting, I'm obviously a, a casualty officer, but I'm doing my anesthetics block at the moment and it's interesting seeing like the surgeons mm. interacting because you kind of get like a very abrasive, couldn't sort of controls the environment male surgeon. Everyone's like, oh, he's on, what a character. Mm. Like, oh, Mr. So-and-so is in, oh, you know, be careful, he'll kick off at you. But it's kind of just accept as part of that person's character. Right. And then you get like a female reg come in as the surgeon 
and she, you know, asked something now, but everyone's like, oh, she's a bit sharp, isn't she? Mm. And like, it's cut, and everyone's like, oh, I don't like working with her. And you're like, actually, it is really noticeable. Yeah. There's such a difference between like the way that, that male colleagues kind of get away with this. I realize obviously there's three guys sat here yeah. criticized this recording, mm. but yeah, it, it really does exist. And I don't, I don't know how we kind of, do you call it out? Like, there and then say actually would you treat a male colleague like this because then you know i've definitely seen yeah both in real life and on twitter like like women saying oh i you know would you would you just treat a male colleague this way and everyone goes oh yeah i definitely would you know we you wouldn't though would you mm. like we know you wouldn't it's a tried and tested mm. thing um, i think it is important to kind of i mean like calling it out i think is, it can be really difficult because it's so pervasive isn't it but no, noticing it is important mm. too and it's good that you've like done that i mean it's one of the things i kind of have tried to do and at least I've noticed anyway, is, is that when we give pain relief to, we generally under prescribe pain relief and stuff for women. Even if you kind of like equate, if even if you kind of get the, even for the same weight and all that kind of stuff and we still mm. give them less. And so sometimes, often like when a patient maybe complains of discomfort during a procedure, some, sometimes there can be some he hesitancy from other staff to give the pain relief. And so often I kind of say that wistfully, oh, we do tend to give like less pain relief and stuff to women. And sometimes just mm. saying that like out loud, I kind of, I don't know, for me anyway, at least kind of is a kind of like slightly passive way of just reminding people that we kind of do tend to. It's been like, check yourself yeah, a little bit. But yeah. I, I, I don't know. I mean, that's uh, certainly one thing that I've noticed. In I, mean, we, I mean, speaking of like a differential treatment, I guess, I mean, even in med Twitter, do you feel like some people get treated more harshly than others, depending, you know, because like, yeah. I think we saw some very problematic, which we say problematic or controversial tweets this week. And so mm -hmm. we had certain characters who were putting out controversial tweets, but because they're not regular people that are called out on having, you know, controversial tweets, they didn't get treated as badly or have much, as much as, a, I don't know the word pile on, but as get as much attention as yeah. some others did you, you guys know what i'm talking about right like so like, i mean we, we've talked about the v-man haven't we a few times and uh, sometimes i think we've mentioned in the previous episode that there could be just a generational gap here because sometimes we just don't seem to get each other but he does get a t take a bit of a but i guess a twitter it gets a lot of twitter attention but then you know we saw we saw someone that tweeted should i say it should i say the word i mean they said we can say the r word that isn't related to race <laughs> yeah okay so the r word is going to upset a few people you know and i think and i wonder whether had had the v-man said something like that there would have been more of an outcry do you, do you see what i'm saying like because yeah. they played this villain for so long i think it's, it's it's you're right it's really really difficult and we should say that we kind of agonized before this episode about how we're going to broach these topics because we don't i mean Whilst like Twitter can be really cliquey, isn't it? And there are pylons, you know, like everyone's aware of it. Oh my God, another pylon, like all this kind of mm. kind of gets said. And then you're like, oh, and so then you're like, oh, should, should we just, everyone should just say what they like and just be horrible to one another or whatever. And then it's fine. Like nobody should ever, like everything, everyone should just shout into the void and we should just turn off all the replies. That, that should be it. Or should mm. we like be accountable for what we say or at least kind of call out stuff if we think it's inappropriate and hope that maybe there's going to be a subset of people who will kind of grow from it? Because that's not really what happened here, is it? It kind of got characterised in a different way. And I guess that's one of the things that people take issue to. I think it's, a, I mean, a lot of the time is to do the doubling down, isn't it? So like, um, if someone calls you out on something, maybe look into it and think, okay, um, have I, have they been correct in calling me out on this? And then maybe just saying, well, we had a good apology last week, didn't we? From someone who 
who were trying to play play the devil's avocado with regards to racism. Do you remember that with the the racist elderly couple that went and said, uh, "Well, yeah, I was really, yeah. I'm really glad to see that I'm getting treated by an English uh, a British person." Hmm. And then someone ran in and said, "Well, you know, you don't know if the patient was deaf. You don't know like they maybe got problems mm. with listening to accents." And and it's like, well. No, that's not the point. You're taking away from the point that we've all, uh, as a coloured person, we've all been there. We've, we've had that situation where someone has said something like that. And then that person quite nicely actually said, you know what, I've got a lot to learn and thank you for that. I'm going to take that learning point on. But in, the, in some instances, it seems to be that if you don't, if someone calls you out and it's not just one person, like one person you could ignore, or like, okay, one person giving a bit of grief, that's fine. When you've got a few people and you know that these are not people that are typically troll accounts, they're not, they're not usually people who will give you a lot of grief but they're pointing something out that you may have done something wrong here. Surely you should take that on and instead of doubling down and saying, no, you guys are wrong. I mean, it just seemed like a bit of a, not the best way to take this one on, don't you think? I think especially with like this particular situation, it was like, yeah. it's quite clear that that word is not acceptable. Yeah. Like I remember being in like junior school, like what, year three, year four of school and learning that you don't call people that and you don't, is that word because of the kind the of the slur and the and the connotations exactly mm. and so it's just like like a really weird thing to double down yeah. on like there's you know that i've been guilty of the kind of saying oh no this has been a misinterpretation this is what i think actually was being said mm. and you kind of argue a point there but in, in this particular situation there wasn't really anything to defend in my point of view mm. and so exactly as you say like you know you just go oh shouldn't have used that word that was a shitty thing to do so I'm mm. going to delete it, you know, but this isn't mine. But instead of turning into tweeting the etymology of where the word comes from yeah. and then kind of trying to twist it a little bit, I think it's just, it, that's where people get a bit more frustrated. Like, you know, people are allowed to make mistakes online. People are allowed to, to, to say things they didn't mean or, or they're, you know, they're stupid to say. It's But it's the, yeah, as you say, the kind of digging your heels in and saying, no, I was right to use this quite broadly unacceptable mm. term and i mean mm. this isn't like us going at like one particular person or you know i mean we, we see it throughout twitter i mean there was that on like on a different scale there were there's vinay prasad and i think he was commenting on some stuff from some like some dr mandrola some u.s physician who talked about like the evidence for mask wearing and all kinds of other stuff and basically then he kind of like the, tweeted i think a few days later that he'd got it wrong but in that time like the tweets were still kept up they hadn't been, and so then they kind of like gather their own momentum and stuff and then mm. i think mm. kind of uh there is like apologizing and then there's the kind of fake apology and then there's also the kind of the risk that you take as uh, perhaps of your message kind of causing harm i mean i've had i've had a situation where i i tweeted i can't remember what it was it's probably something jokey about surgeons again and then um <laughs> i think someone pointed out that you know what i think you're wrong there and then i then i think underneath i said yeah you know what you're right i, I think i got that wrong but what ended up happening was that the original tweet just kept going and going and going and everyone mm. ignored that I actually had, you know, relented and say, look, yeah, okay, fine. Probably not the the best joke to make. And and I kept getting comments back at me saying that, you know, you should put, you shouldn't say that, you shouldn't say that. And I was like, I've already said that. I've already, I've already said, you know, if you kind of stop, you know, focusing on the original thing and see the reply, but maybe I should have just deleted you the thing have. and put yeah. another tweet afterwards and say that, you know what, previous tweet probably wasn't the right thing to do. And, you know, I'm going to address this by doing this. I made that now, now having been in the Twitter game for a bit longer, I've realized now that's probably the best thing to do because actually negative tweets uh, like that seem to just 
keep going yeah, like yeah, wildfire, don't you think? It just mm. keep going. They love it. Yeah, and they share it, they share it, they tweet, they like, they they keep going. And it's it's crazy to regardless of whether there's been any lessons learnt mm. learnt afterwards. But talking about tweets that maybe get taken a bit further, you know, maybe maybe get screen capped and sent to your employer. Yeah, what what do we make of this? So look, what what I've noticed is that obviously Twitter moves quickly, doesn't it? Yeah, especially mid Twitter moves very, very quickly. So we had a we had something that happened. And a whole load of people are like, one has just happened. I don't know what's going on because someone was talking about something and I don't know what it is. And I was like, all right, well, I guess we're going to have to try and talk about it on the podcast as delicately as possible. So who wants to go for it? Anyone, anyone brave enough? <laughs> uh, uh, well, given I got at least like eight people in my DMs yesterday being like, what's this all about? And then I got stopped in the corridor at work three times by <laughs> colleagues today to be like, I saw this thing on the internet, what happened? Uh, and I had at least four texts today as well being like, I saw this thing on the internet, what yeah. happened? So I've explained it mm, upwards of 15 times. So I suppose we can give it yeah. a go, like a pre-seed version. <laughs> we, we've got, again, kind of similar to the the previous topic about the R word. And we had a little chat about how to approach this. And I think we're going to not use names and try and make this kind of as broad as possible. But essentially the situation was that an altercation occurred between one person and another on Twitter regarding a tweet that was not related to basically one person tweeted about their department and their, their experience of their job another person took exception to that because it was kind of related to their specialty I think the first person blocked them and said eh, whatever don't get so butthurt about it and then the person that was blocked chose to screenshot the tweets and send them to the original tweeters seniors or whatever and the original tweet was an f1 so it was quite kind of a quite junior and quite a vulnerable situation they got called into a meeting to discuss those tweets and obviously saw an email that had like the name (gasps) of the person who sent it on the email so they knew full facts that this person had sent this email i know oh drama and so yesterday kind of decided to say this happened to yeah. me and I don't think it's okay and it, it took off quite a bit yeah. didn't it I think you know, I saw some people commenting on it about how like some people would just kind of feel a bit ashamed about that they've been caught up in this yeah. web rightly or wrongly in this case I, I, my personal opinion is wrongly we would to be ashamed yeah. about it um, and would be like oh I'll just deal with it in my own life but I wouldn't mention it I think the thing that probably caught meant Twitter's interest or feelings about it is you know for years we've made jokes about tagging the gmc and things and snitching on people over what is essentially just personal interactions Mm. and i suppose this is like the first time i've really experienced someone who you kind of is in the quote-unquote group then suddenly like snitching on another person in the group Mm. over something and it's you know and the person that sent the, the tweets to the trust phrased it as bringing disrepute on me on the profession which you know, I think the original tweet was just saying, oh, here's some ways I would make my job, you know, I wish my seniors would yeah, act exactly. to make my job as a junior a little bit yeah, better. Exactly. You know, maybe there were, you know, maybe there were freezing issues, maybe it was presented in a slightly snarky way, but it certainly wasn't, you know, compared to some tweets about people grooming 13-year-olds yeah, yeah. in the NHS. I don't think it's really bringing the, the profession into disrepute as much that, as, yeah. as is being suggested. Mm. I think that's where it's, it's kind of caught people's attention is it just sort of feels like a bit of a stab yeah. in the back. I think that we kind of have this community and we interact with each other and we make some jokes here and we make some comments there and we don't necessarily have to drag our employers and our governing bodies into it every five minutes. I mean, that always seems to be the outcome, doesn't it? We mentioned in the uh, our episode of Zach that it, it seems to be almost a natural outcome of most arguments in Med Twitter that someone will invoke the GMC. Some, somewhere along the line, someone's going to say the GMC. 
But I guess like, you know, Trisha, you're talking about, you know, this is weaponization, isn't it, of, of reporting mechanisms by doing, and it's the same as the Datex. So the what's the Datex is meant to be trying to highlight problems and then deal with your problems and trying to make them better. So in this situation, you wonder like, what is the motivation here? Did you genuinely think that there was something to worry about, something so worry, so worrisome that you need to go take the screenshots and then send it to the person's employer, or is it personal? You know, and if it was me, uh, I guess I would feel as though like, well, I'd obviously look at those tweets back and think, is it, is this really something that's going to bring the profession in, into disrepute? But if it isn't, then I can't see how it's not personal. I thought it's interesting that Russell mentioned kind of groups because there's a whole like mean girls kind of cliquey type feel and I kind of feel like there are certain in crowds and then stuff happens. I mean like I feel like part of the reason why the reaction was so strong and I don't think it was necessarily completely unreasonable <laughs> maybe it like I mean it always kind of ends up going a bit too far but like you know I think part of the reason why it seemed kind of over the top do you think it is because it seemed like it was almost crossing a line to the group like you kind of this is stuff that we said on Twitter, like, why are you taking it to someone's employer? Do you, mm. do you think there was, like, an element of that, like, a kind of popularity thing? I was trying to think about this and, like, you know, I, I was a bit too meta, I don't know, but, like, a lot of medicine is kind of just, like, medical school and the way that the medical training is, it's like an extension of school. Like, mm. you know, you kind of have your teachers and you have your students and everyone's kind of got their years and their grades, you know, like, I think there's a thing that's actually a thing like, how am I 31 and I'm still like, in August, I'm going up a year, like, for fuck's sake, this is like, it goes on. But then it kind of perpetuates the schoolyard behaviour of, mm. you know, this person says something I don't like, so I'm telling the teacher. Mm. And that, that's literally what's happened here, is that, mm. you know, one person says something that another person didn't like, and rather than being grown-up adults with professional jobs about it and just discussing it or indeed just letting it go and getting on with your life someone has chosen to tell the teacher about mm. this problem yeah. in order to get someone in trouble and like i don't know it's funny so like why my my flatmates aren't on twitter but they kind of they know that i am and sometimes they like catch up on my account to see like what's going on I sat down like I got from the gym just before recording this and I sat down with one of my flatmates and she was like why do you like this Twitter place <laughs> yeah. she's like I was looking through this like recent this, like thing with this situation and she was like it's just kind of it's really toxic and these are just professionals having like a like a bitch fest at each other about something that doesn't matter and I was like yeah it's true. you're quite right actually yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I can't really defend yeah. this yeah, yeah, I think it does serve its purpose of kind of being a record of your conscious thought. Sometimes a quite nice discussion about why certain individuals don't like dogs and dolphins, etc. But uh, you know, sometimes it can descend into into this kind of craziness where maybe people are taking it a bit too seriously. Unless something, some, unless something serious has happened, why take things so seriously? And I think in this situation, I do. I mean, I'm going to echo what Thrusha said as well. Like, you do wonder whether it is a bit cliquey. Like, maybe there's like a there is a med Twitter crew. And when the Med Twitter crew kind of had something happen against them, and then the whole Med, Med Twitter crew went against that person, I mean, is that could that be something that happened as well? Because on the grand scheme of things, I mean, in reality, we're going to forget about this by next week. It's not that big a deal. But then, on the other hand, we are one of the first questions I asked was when we brought this up: is like, what was the motivation behind it? But let's say the, someone go, you get that envelope from the GMC saying that there's something going against you. That's going to have you know quite a big effect on your mental health, your happiness. Even if you know that there's nothing, you've done nothing wrong. So if we know that that's, that is the outcome of what could happen when someone reports someone to someone else, we should really think about it twice before we decide to go that far. 
or you know mm. there has to be something serious that's gone on if you're gonna if you're gonna try and you know ruin their month their day their life for a little bit like it feels it could be personal because the actual tweet is so minor I, I didn't really see what was so big about it and i think that's probably partly why it got the reaction yeah. it did because you know i'm sure most people if not everyone's kind of been called to that meeting with that coffee where you're told oh you're gonna you know like i had it recently due to an interaction that whatever happened happened and i end up sitting down with the medical director to discuss the situation and like i i would i know like you know, it is what it is and like it turned out you know i was kind of i was justified in what i did and i was and there were some like false accusations towards me that kind of got um quashed but you know even just being told yeah. i was going to that meeting i was like well i can't really carry on with my day like i'm trying to concentrate doing like requesting scans mm. and all like you know i kind of, it's in the back of your mind. i'm not perfusing my brain anymore yeah, yeah, and yeah. i'm very shaky and i feel horrendous and i can't do this anymore mm. uh, and we've all i'm sure felt that feeling yeah. at some point over something whether it's you know being called to see the head teacher of school whether it's being called to see, you know something in med school whether it's at work mm. and to inflict that on someone else for really no reason it just feels shit mm. and i think that's why everyone's like kind of reacted so much to be like how dare you act that way mm. and like fit and like go after someone in that way with no real justification no real substance behind the original tweet that you've sent to people do you think we have to go some kind of way i mean this, uh, it sounds a bit ridiculous saying it out loud but like where we have to like all put our gmc numbers on our twitter account and you have to have like a twitter moderator from each kind of royal college or something to be like and then you could just complain to that person on twitter or, or like each kind of social media platform so you have that and then i don't know it could escalate up the chain then depending on like how heinous it is i don't know like i just kind of wonder is there a way of should we be policing but, it or should it just be like yeah I mean, like, you know, we, I mean, this is a kind of a wide discussion about anonymous accounts and whether they should exist or not, right? And, you know, obviously some anonymous accounts are not that nice. And that will take us on to one of our other topics. But some anonymous accounts I found actually be quite useful. I think there was one called the Depressed Medic or something like that. Do you remember yeah, this one? Yeah, And um, I found that really interesting because obviously this person is, they're saying they've got, they're, they're depressed. And that in itself can be something that someone else who is going through the similar feelings can relate to. And the person who's doing that anonymous tweeting is probably getting some sort of therapy from actually being able to voice things that they would otherwise not be able to voice had they had they got a face and a GMC number to their to their Twitter account. So I think in some respects it can be a very useful thing. It just depends on the motivations behind it, right? Like anonymous, not all anonymous accounts are bad. Anonymous accounts, some of them can be quite useful. And you can, you know, you. I mean, I was anonymous for a while because I was worried about what people might want if something like this happening. Uh, even though I was very bland and, you know, I'm bland as I was then, as I am now. But we saw another anonymous kind of, an orthopedic surgeon. Did you see that one through show where they, they were tweeting out some really like weird stuff about females being unable to do a posterior approach. Is that right? Did you see that one? Yeah. So that was academic ortho, right? So this, I can say it because their account's now been deleted, rightfully so. Mm. But like, yeah, they were just kind of like basically being, it was, it was a reply guy type vibe but it was just kind mm. of over the top and kind of quite focused on women, which I guess gives you an insight into what this person's kind of like. And they just, it was just kind of really like petty, sad things that they were kind of replying, just just being sad and mean. But I, there was one which uh, Russell mentioned, one where he was talking about try doing, what was it, Russell? Try doing a posterior? Yeah, so he had like two things. Like one was, I think, 
an orthopedic surgeon had posted a picture of her and her friend like through the years from like med school to to how they are now and he'd be like one of you's thin, one of you's got thin or one of you's got fatter which Semi. is just mm. like, okay that what's the point like sure that's an observation great like why have you yeah. offered that um, didn't mention their shit hair which is you know i suppose a bonus compared to me <laughs> uh, which the hair was lovely i'm not oh saying the hair was not god and then one of them was something about women in orthopedic surgery being like oh well you know women can't do posterior approach just hip replacement or something and then like loads of people replying being like i do yeah, this all yeah. the time and i appeared to be a woman so it was just so full of like just misogyny bitterness and just really fragile masculinity or toxic masculinity but that? did they yeah. did they end up tweeting against the tpd of orthopedics or something is that what happened eventually or they finally they finally met the match yeah no 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 some some of those replies were to the tpd really but, uh, so yeah yeah that, that, so they, they were gunning for the and then it transpired that it was because they hadn't been given a training number and so they were just miserable and just obviously just felt really kind of frustrated and uh, just like impotent by that. So that's that's where, where it came from, right? But we know that the trolls who behave in that way usually have some kind of issue along those lines and they just kind of deeply hate their own lives or just miserable and so they just want to spread it elsewhere. But mm. it was just kind of... But it's, it was kind of weird to see because you kind of, I guess... The assumptions were, I think someone made some um, suggestions as, as to who that person might be. Someone else who's had their their real, like their actual kind of non-anonymous account deactivated. And so then they had to make that kind of anonymous account, which has now been deactivated. But like, it's just mm. weird to think that that's a, that person's a doctor, though, and behaving in the way that you kind of expect like a 13-year-old boy on Xbox Live to behave. And you're like... I, you'd have th- <laughs> you'd have th- I can imagine a whole load of 13-year-old boys on Xbox Live saying, what were you talking about? We will get along. You don't <laughs> yeah, the ones exactly. who are crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, at least they get to beat each other up on a computer game, not like just to uh, have uh, a jarring session with words, as it were, yeah. on the on the internet, yeah, exactly. the way it is sometimes, isn't it? Yeah. But like, I just feel like, you know, someone like the TPD is probably something, you know, someone quite high up in the chain that you probably don't want to be, don't want to be messing with, right? And so that's the kind of, what I like about Twitter sometimes is that it, because it's such an open space, you can go and tweet and then suddenly out of nowhere will come like the expert of the expert or the, the don of the don and they'll just come and put the put down on you. Be like, you know what? You don't know what you're talking about. So I think I've seen a meme where someone was like, today I'm going to be an expert virologist and today I'm going to be uh, the expert in geopolitics. <laughs> and then they would just yeah. tweet according yeah. to whatever they feel like they're the, the expert of that day. And it's so like telling yeah. of the way society is now that it's nice that everyone's got a voice, but sometimes you probably shouldn't have a voice in certain areas of expertise that you have no expertise in. And uh, we saw that tweet. Was it someone, uh, Tom Har- Harwood? Did you see that? Tom Harwood had a tweet. Yeah. Did you see that one? Yeah. So Tom, yeah, Tom Harwood's an idiot, isn't he? I mean, he's just an idiot. But um, he calls himself <laughs> I don't know who he is. But I mean, oh, right. no, he's okay. an idiot. He's not worth, yeah. he's not worth like literally, he's someone who comments. He's an idiot, Imran. Professionally, he's an, he's an idiot. idiot. Like literally <laughs> like people employ him to be an idiot and just to kind of spout crappy like takes. And uh, mm. Tom Harwood, I'll stick, on, stick to him to begin with, where he reply, he sends a tweet saying, weird of you to reply to a tweet of mine professing an all-seeing eye on US politics and constitutional affairs. And then the reply is like, I'm a constitutional lawyer, Tom. 
full stop. And I just love those replies. <laughs> and it reminds me of, like, if people haven't seen this other video before, it's one of my favorite videos. And it's one of Ben Shapiro, you know, the guy who's a commentator in the US. And he just comes out, he's like a bit right, I don't know, center right. He's pretty, he's right wing, I guess, for here. Like, he's just horrible. And he has, like, crappy, crappy takes all the time. But one of my favorites is where he's doing this thing where he's talking about how people in flooded areas should, look, you know, look, it's simple like capitalism. They should just sell their houses and move. Like, why? Why do they stay in and uh, <laughs> why do they stay in this area that's going to be flooded? Why don't they just sell their houses? And then there's this reply, this reply video that's so amazing. This is guy like you can hear, he can see it with an axe. He's like chopping at this wall, and then he like bursts through and he goes, "Tom, who's going to buy their houses? Aquaman." <laughs> <laughs> oh man that's good that's good i love it it's like you know what russell were talking about earlier isn't it you're saying that sometimes you have someone commenting on a paper and then the author pops up but i wrote that paper yeah. what would you like to ask yeah i see that like um endless times where someone will be like comment on a paper and then some replies being like well this is the case like have you even read the paper like no, i wrote yeah. it so <laughs> yeah. the it. ultimate put down isn't it yeah, uh, yeah. those that's are those are for. like you know yeah exactly the chef's kiss when that, that, that comes in you're like yeah. yes that's what we want twitter for like where someone comes in out of nowhere who happens to be the expert of the expert who actually gives them a proper opinion but you know going from like bad opinion let's go let's go to a nice opinion i had a really nice tweet from nina you know one of our good good mm. guests and friends i'll never forget this lesson from my gp trainer for you as the doctor the consultation starts when the patient walks to the door for the patient, it starts from when they th when they think about making an appointment, the call with the reception, waiting for the date, and then seeing you. Which doesn't quite apply to what I do because I look at scans, so I don't know at what point I have really you know fall into this. But you know, for the rest of you guys who do see patients and do have appointments, and for you, Russell, you know the when when the patient comes into A and E, it probably starts as soon as they see the security guard at the door to the receptionist, then getting brought through into the room. Mm. That entire thing is the consultation and not it's not just you and your, you know, your 10 minutes or 15 minutes, however long uh, you're with the patient for. What do you guys make of that? I think it goes further back. Though. Like when people come in, they're like, oh, I've had symptoms for, for weeks and weeks and months and months. You know, they'd probably be thinking thinking that all that time. Oh, this is weird. Like, should I see someone about it? And there's that whole thing, that process. Mm. I don't know if you've gone through that as a patient, like where you're like, oh, should I see someone about it? Like, this is weird. And you know, you're like, oh, is this gonna be, am I gonna be like made to feel stupid? Like, should, should I like mention this or not? And I've certainly had that where I've had symptoms and then you're kind of like, oh, as a doctor, like, sh should I really know what that is anyway? And, oh, should I just like, you know, text a friend and ask them about it? Or, you know, like those kind of things, that's made me think of. From the ED side of things, obviously people don't necessarily make appointments. And so for us, it's kind of, as you say, like when they first turn up at the door or first call the ambulance or whatever. But like one of the things I commonly come across is, you know, someone will come with a symptom and it's, it's not an emergency thing. And so we can do some simple tests and, and reassure them. But I think we sort of really easily forget that they've still got that symptom and they've had that symptom for a while and they still don't know what it is. Mm. And so you kind of go in with all smiles being like, well, it turns out your chest pain is yeah, not a heart attack or a pee or a dissection or something horrendous. Fantastic. You know, off you go to the chest pain clinic or back to your GP or, you know, try some Gaviscon at home or whatever. And sort of from, from my point of view or from our point of view, we're like, fantastic. Diagnosis not made, but you excluded all the emergency stuff. Happy days, move on. But yeah, like kind of as Nina was getting to for the patient, that's been a problem for the very beginning. And it's, you know, it's been days or weeks of symptoms potentially. And then hours of, oh, should I go to A&E? Should I go, should I call an ambulance? Then turning up and waiting and seeing and having your triage and getting your bloods and getting your tests. And yeah, like it's kind of, it's easy for us to slot each patient into kind of a 
as you say, like a 10 minute situation or a half hour situation or whatever, mm. when actually it's their entire life. Plus we've got a fairly common problem whereby, you know, you don't find anything wrong. How do you address the kind of that with with patients when you see them in a &E? Like, how do you kind of go, yeah, we haven't found anything wrong. Sorry. Like, you know, how do you... Yeah, so I, my approach is kind of, I kind of start it by saying what my skill set and what the department's situation or setup is, is to, is to look at emergencies and life-threatening problems and or to treat like things that we can see and treat. Um, and there's this whole plethora of things in the middle that are neither something that we can diagnose and treat in ED, also on something that we can just, you know, it's fine to move on. There's things that we have to... to refer on or deal with in the future that we're not going to mm. fix right now um, just to kind of get the patient into the mindset of we might not have the answer there's also kind of a, a graph that i've seen go around that sometimes i even draw the patients of like symptoms versus time and you know kind of say often in ed we see you at this point where you've got some symptoms and everything's a bit nebulous and we don't really know what's going on and we can't find a clear thing but it might be that things progress and it becomes clearer but at the moment i can't find a problem and so i, so I try to jump in with like the reassurance that my job is primarily to look for these 10 diagnoses of life-threatening causes of chest pain and I've done my job in, in looking into those and not finding them and here are things I think it could be I think we should treat x y and z and here's what we're going to do next um, and I, I think that like the key or the, the in terms of the interaction back and forth with the patients over the, the last few years or so is about putting that next step in place you know, if you turn up with your very, your symptom, the experience all the day, all day, every day that you're really worried about and someone goes, that's ah, fine. Well, you're like, I'm not, not reassured by that. Whereas I think if someone jumps in with, it's not this, here's what we're going to do next. Mm. Whether that next thing is, I don't have the funding yeah. and the access to clinics, so please go and see your GPs for onward referral or whether that is, you know, we, we do have quite so good access in ED now to you know, get people booked into chest pain okay. clinics or ambulatory care or whatever for a further yeah. assessment. To, and I think that kind of that expectation management is, is a huge yeah. part of it. But yeah, like exactly as Nina says, it's it's not just one interaction, yeah. is it? I mean, yeah, it's all about managing expectations. We get that a lot in radiology as well, actually, where, you know, obviously, yeah, someone comes in, they're expected to get a scan, expected to get answers, and often there are no answers. And I, I pretty much do exactly what you mm. do. I know some colleagues say, I'm sorry, but you have to talk to GP for the report, but I feel a bit bad to not try yeah. and give them something, especially when there's worried as much as they are. So I normally try and say, look, you know, my job is to rule out the big things, the worrying things, and that's not good news, but it's also not bad news either. And that, I mean, there is, a, there is a positive take from that. Generally speaking, people are, they take that quite well. Mm. But you know, with regards to Nina's tweet as well, she's talking about the entire patient journey. And actually, if, I read this book called The E-Myth Revisited. Uh, for anyone that's remotely interested in business and systems and all that kind of stuff, and probably not in, not all that interesting to anyone else. But uh, I found it very interesting because in that book, it talks a lot about how in the corporate world and in retail, they think about everything. Like it's the entire customer journey. As soon as you walk in, the person saying hi to you, what they look like, what they're wearing, you know, your interaction and that entire process of you walking into the shop and you hopefully buying something is what they worry about. So there's literally thousands, millions of dollars and pounds that goes into just figuring out the entire patient, uh, the customer journey. But it's a shame that that kind of, that learning from that world is not really brought across to, to medicine. Because if we could, like, it's like what we were talking about earlier, you know, you could be a good doctor, a bad doctor, but if you have a good interaction with a patient, if the patient thinks that you, you care and you, you've been, uh, had a nice interaction, relate on some level, 
then generally speaking, even if you got things wrong, they, they can, they, you know, remarkably forgiving, you know, for, for things that may happen. But when they feel like they've been hard done by or they're not been taken seriously by anyone and it will go all the way from, you know, walking through the door all the way to reception, all the way to being discharged. If that journey at any point seems like, you know, they're not being cared about, then even if they have been cared about, they'll walk away thinking like they've not been cared about. And that's something that I think we, I wish the NHS would take into consideration that the reception needs to be, the receptionist is there to be polite and nice and be welcome and say, hi, how are you? All that kind of stuff so that the patient journey is not just, yeah, you come in, you get treated, you get out. It's the entire thing. In, out, all the way to the door. Anyway, so yeah, I think she had a really interesting tweet that she brought away. The other interesting tweet, I thought we saw something about, someone said, like, got told a story from a friend who turned up as an FY1 at an arrest to find someone they knew was still in medical school running the arrest medical emergency. I can't remember if they'd been asked to defer to the med reg on arrival or did it or did it automatically. I don't know about you guys, but when there was a crash call, I always wanted to be the last person there. I didn't want to be the first person there because I always felt like I'm not, I don't think I'm at the level to be able to know what the first thing to do is. I remember turning up to a rest and like this IT reg asking me when I was the med reg, so what's the plan? And I remember being like, mate, we turned up at the same time. Like we both don't know this, but we don't, there's no plan. Like what's, I remember like, what what are you on about? What kind of question is that? The the plan's in tatters, this this is terrible. But I remember he, I think I'd be relieved if I had a medical student take over. I'd be like, okay, fine, maybe I'll try and get the gas then. It's a lot of responsibility. (laughs) Russell, you must be getting to the stage where you walk in and they're like, oh. Russell's here. Can you take over? Or just assume oh, that you're God. now in charge. Is that is that what happens? Someone makes a crime officer club joke. He's <laughs> like, sorry, I'm just going to make a quick tweet and then I'll be with you. No, I'm joking, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Skip yeah. <laughs> gonna, gonna video this. Um, I, well, I don't think it'll breathe a sigh relief when I walk in. Everyone's like, oh, God, not this pretty good. <laughs> like, it's so much no. harder. I don't know. I mean, like, I suppose I can envisage situations where this isn't the worst thing in the world. Like, you know, if you were the med student that happened to be on the ward and a crash bell gets pulled and someone's in cardiac arrest and everyone's doing sleep crash trolley. You can at least be like, oh, I've got yeah. some ideas. Maybe we should do a bit of chest compressions and grab a crash trolley and put a defib on and yeah. see what happens. And, but like, hopefully as soon as he arrives, you go, cool, I've done these things, bye. <laughs> the vibe I got from the tweet was that maybe this person carried on running the arrest. Mm. Um, and I suppose it's technically, you know, you turn up and say, I am an ALS provider. It doesn't matter what your role is, <laughs> but presumably the medical student does have some sort of professional governing body and license. So mm makes it a bit more challenging mm. it's i suppose like in this sort of ties in a bit to something that i, I don't know, i've definitely been subtweeted about in the past on twitter about med students jumping into sort of discussions amongst consultants about specialized fields with their opinions on what uh, they would do next yeah. you know i see lots of lots of consultants discussing cases and then the med students being like well here's my plan and you know we're like yeah. oh, to kind of like <laughs> not necessarily in the running and arrest situation because that's a patient but in these situations of like how do you differentiate someone who's keen and going above and beyond to learn about a specialty they're interested in versus someone who's maybe um, overstepping their experience and their bodies? Like, you know, I'm currently in, say, anaesthetics and the, the boss says, do this. And I go, okay. And they say, what do you want to do next? And I go, I don't know, because I, I don't know. I imagine not having worked today as a doctor in my life and feeling the need to discuss anesthetic plans with anesthetists you know or trauma plans with trauma team leaders or, or whatever and I, I wonder whether social media as well plays a role in this where we kind of give lots of information to our students and they kind of slightly overinflate their yeah. roles and their experiences because 
they think that they've got this extra learning and this free online access to medical education. And so they end up in these situations where a patient arrests and they're like, cool, I've got this mm. kind of on the Dunning-Kruger curve. But then we we have talked about sort of flat, flattening the hierarchy a few times, right? Like we should flatten the hierarchy, but does that, does that also apply to medical students? I mean, should they also be part of the flattened hierarchy or should they always be, no, everyone else is flattened, you guys are medical students, so this is probably not for but, you right now. But I suppose like, you hear that flattened hierarchy, but the role of that is in things like cruel crisis resource management where mm. you know as the medical student if you spot a mistake your role is to step up and say there's a mistake mm. here it doesn't mean your role is to be the team leader mm. in my opinion you know yeah, you know kind of like oh, i feel like i'm being too much of an emergentologist and, a, and now currently a fake anesthetist but kind of you know the elaine bromley case which was uh <laughs> um an elective um, ent operation and they couldn't intubate her and then multiple consultants just kept, re kept repeatedly intubating and the and the scrub nurse right. has already got the front of neck access kit sat there next to it but didn't feel empowered mm -hmm. to say you need to stop trying to get this tube down this is what you need mm -hmm. to do next and kind of that's where the flattened hierarchy comes in the flattened hierarchy is there to be a safety and to even the most junior person to say are you sure you know you're back to, i'm not sure that's the right medicine mm -hmm. to give or mm -hmm. you know have we got the diagnosis wrong mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that we say ah the student can have a go at running this medical emergency because everyone should be able to have a go. Mm. Like, we still have to have a role where we say people spend five years at med school, two years of foundation mm. training, six years, six, seven, eight, ten years of specialty training to be the seniors in their in their field and in an emergency, you get the senior to lead it. Like, and, and yeah, and I think in this situation, a medical student running an arrest, like if they happen to be the person at, in those first few minutes who can team lead and knows what to do great but in the end you haven't got the yeah. experience as a medical student to be leading and arrest the Absolutely. whole way through experience mm. counts it makes a difference i mean that's what we have to mm. do uh, um i guess if we're going in our different spaces like you have to do that like thousands of angiograms and angioplasties before i guess you're seen as yeah. kind of like competent and that's because people have like weird stuff happens and like you can't and like mm. simply put like it's just a lot of it comes down to experience right and having seen or how different situations play out but also like to see kind of pick up on nuances and things but it's interesting because i i still think that in that scenario though even if a person's felt empowered from social media or just from any for anywhere i mean like there's got to be there's an aspect of their personality right that i think within like a week of the changeover there was a patient in A&E who came over on what you know there's that standard kind of can we get some help over here and you know like this and then and then i remember seeing like as kind of like walking like these two uh, they're junior doctors and they were just kind of like kind of like pushing themselves back up against the wall like you know like trying to like borrow a little mm. kind of hole for themselves there because they were just like oh, no 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 not us not us and they kind of literally <laughs> were, yeah, I could and then like the patient was, I don't know what happened they were having like a seizure or something and like turning back and they were still like up against that wall like I don't know like oh maybe they haven't seen us mm. kind of like look on their face and one of the nurses mm. was really angry like oh those two doctors like didn't do anything I'm like mate they've been a doctor for like five minutes like they're just ter like terrified mm. yeah literally yeah literally just didn't just didn't know what to do and there's that kind of par paralysis isn't it so it takes some bravery to like even yeah. But you know, like it's that it's exactly it's interesting you mentioned though because I know that you know I've been a radars for a while now and, and I've been on the plane when when someone has fainted and the people are like is there a doctor on the plane and then you, you I stand and sit there thinking there's got to be a better doctor than me on the plane please and no, no one says anything like 
right, I think you, you're stuck with me. All right. So then you get up, you go across and you, you do the best you can in, in that situation. But I, I can, I definitely, you know, I, it, like you said, it takes a, per, a certain kind of personality to jump up and be like, yeah, I got this. As in, you've got to be very, yeah, yeah, very yeah. confident in yourself, especially at medical Any doctors, level, man. to jump in like this. Yeah, I mean, I wish Russell would meet would be yeah, with man. me in those they, situations. They get yeah, so much man. beef I, on Twitter, but if you think about it, if if all of us, if all of the specialties were stranded on a desert island, right, the, uh, the ED doc, the, uh, like the emergency medics, would be the last to get eaten, wouldn't they? Wait, they'd have the most followers. But yeah, because every four hours we just make us unless a problem. <laughs> <laughs> so we're like, ah, like, oh, look, the, the lions have arrived. Uh, so, oh, ooh, cardiologist, four hours later, gastro, four hours later, radiology. <laughs> like, we just, yeah, Fair it's never our problem. Sorry, there's no, there's actually no backseas. You can't stay on our island. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, radiology with the most useless thing without all the scanners. And the, can you imagine being on a desert island? What do you think? Like, I don't know. Give me a bat. Give me a bat and maybe I could use the bat to like, I don't know, ultrasound something. Otherwise, I'm pretty useless right now. Completely useless without my, my special equipment. At least, you you know, Trusha, you could use your ears to hear, hear, hear a murmur or two yes. or something, I guess, right? Yeah, I'd be like, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm so sorry. Do you have any aspirin? Yeah, cool. yeah. So, um, through, yes, I mean, you know, on a desert island, would you be upset if someone threw away the only bottle that you had? So you're referencing the tweet by Andrew Punton, who said... Well, he was talking... Well, I think he was quote-tweeting someone else. Emily CPB, just in case she's got a bingo card. Uh, Surely ward matrons have more important (laughs) jobs than throwing reusable bottles away because they don't have names written on them. I got one thrown away that had my name on it. It was a Camelback one. I really liked it and it got thrown away. I was really sad about that. Um, So there's this whole thing. Has that happened to you? Have you had your uh, sustenance thrown away by an overzealous person? Yeah, um, like, you know, you've got like a coffee on the shop floor and someone turns up and goes, you know, I had a coffee on the shop floor. And you're like, I know that's technically the rules, but there's like a queue of 60. So please, could we just like let me have some bloody caffeine? Why is that a rule? And I think it's just, uh, I'm sure, infection control or something. I don't know. Probably. I mean, in my case, it's probably because I'll throw it on someone. Um, (laughs) I, I, I don't know. I think it's kind of, it's one of those things where you're like, there's rules and then there's like, maybe guidelines i don't know like in these sort of situations especially like the day-to-day nhs like everyone's busy everyone's stressed everyone's not got time to have enough water or enough coffee yeah. or something to eat like there's situations where you could be like ah i'm going to ignore this water bottle on the side or this coffee on the side because actually this person hasn't had a break and it's like it's the thing that's going to break them is when you turn up and go you're not allowed that in the bin you're like piss off like it's just like it really it's like it's properly degrading isn't it yeah, it's like really demoralizing when you're you know everyone's working hard everyone's kind of busy no one's got time for a break and then someone comes along and being like you're not allowed this coffee and chucks it in the bin you're like i know technically but come on like be a human look at the situation mm. like use some judgment like mm. like i'm sat here i've not left this chair for the last like three hours writing discharge summaries or whatever just let me have the coffee. That's essentially please. what the alternative is, isn't it? But then you have to leave mm. the ward for an allocated break. And then, you, yeah, I mean... So. And then we've covered yeah, in exactly. previous episodes that, you know, you get told off if everyone's yeah. off the ward. So it's like, it's no-win situation. Yeah, just don't drink. Your poor kid needs to shrivel up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just everyone turns out, gets their morning cannula, a bag of fluids goes up, <laughs> crack on with the job. Yeah. Oh, you know, I remember a friend of mine, he told me that um, he, he, had a can- he had a cannula put into him and um, they had the saline bag and I think so- the, the, no, someone accidentally left it open too, like, too much and there was so much fluid that went flying through him so quickly that like he actually had like 
he needed to pee so bad and it was like the crispest peas ever had in his life. He still remembers it as being one of the best peas he's ever is done. That, it's the weirdest it thing. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, he was telling me it's the weirdest thing that ever happened. Basically, he knew he was going to get pissed that night. So he, he got back oh! and he was going to go work. Are you talking about something we know? No, no, no. That's not how the story goes. That's not... No, oh, we should, keep this, we should keep this in because nobody's going to identify. Okay, it. fine. You, you he, go, on, go on. So he knew he was going to get wasted and so, so he planned it. So he had all that stuff there in the uh, hospital, accommoda uh, hospital accommodation. And then he fell asleep because he's so wasted. He kind of like fell asleep with the cannula and the bag dropped onto the floor. And then he ended up giving a transfusion into the bag because it was having a <laughs> Oh, that's right. That's no! Right. Yeah! Yeah, allegedly that happened. Allegedly. Isn't it? allegedly. That happened. But that's yeah. a <laughs> there you go. But I'm being like, wow, you could do it. That's a crazy idea. Like, he was thinking outside of the box, whereas, you know, I'd just be Mate, sick for about a week afterwards, you know? Honestly, I think if that happened to me, I would have fainted and then more would have gone. I would have fainted yeah. again every time I'd sit working on sick. Like, oh. Oh. I just don't like the sight of blood. That's why I do what I do. I do not like blood. I really don't. It really oh, makes no. me sick. It makes you queasy. Um, great. So, um, I think we've been through oh, most of the subjects. Yeah. Right? Well, okay. we, well, one thing was that I got tweeted whilst we were on, like, just to say hi to Joseph Mackter, because I think he's got a bingo card. But also, can we also mention that a one really <laughs> annoying tweet, which was not annoying, as in the person who tweeted it isn't annoying, Emma Coombe. But she mentioned about how the GMC charges the same full registration fees for people who are less than full time or those on parental leave. That's out of order. That needs that should change. That's discriminatory. Yeah, I'm surprised that's the case. I, I'm surprised. I never even thought about that. I never even crossed my mind. We should. Like, oh, that should change. Should, should campaign against that somehow. Is there anything yeah, somehow. we can do? I don't know. We've said it on a podcast. That's you know. That's about as big as it gets. That's you know. <laughs> Surely you can do it like a gym membership. You know, when you can like freeze it for a few yeah, months because you're exactly. not using it. Yeah, like, yeah. If you're like, I'm not working. <laughs> just you know, a ten or a month to keep keep your foot in the GMC door, yeah. but not fully be licensed. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, that would. Yeah. You would have thought so, isn't it? I mean. I don't know, the GMC fees and all that, it's all a bit funny, isn't it? Yeah. Right, I mean, speaking of fees, uh, I guess, a oh, fundraiser. Yeah. Yeah. Where are we at right now? I think we managed to go from 2% to 4%, so Whoa! we're getting closer. Whoa! We're getting closer to uh, beating my all-time high record of Centaur ranking at med school. Um, <laughs> so hopefully that happens soon. Now, you guys, come on, man, let's get some donations going in. I'll put the link in the uh, description. Yeah. Do check our YouTube video out. Yeah. We are donating to the Afghanistan um, Emergency Appeal and hopefully you're going to have a bit of fun with a uh, Ask Me Anything um, episode. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if you can't be bothered to ask us a question, then, you know, that's fine. Just uh, please donate generously. But uh, why would you not want to ask us a question when you when you could win? What could you win, Imran? What could you win, Russell? Do you know what they could win? Can you tell them? They could win all the tea. All the tea! As far as I've heard. <laughs> oh, God. All the tea. He sounds, he sounds so unenthused. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, is that no Wait. wonder. Yeah, I mean, enough. I... If my coffee is getting thrown in the bin, I'm not going to get excited about all the tea. <laughs> no. Um, no, you can, you can. Well, I, I mean, I think the biggest prize here is that Imran and Tharisha have to ask answer your questions mm. completely truthfully. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's basically truth or dare with um, your favourite two podcasters. Yeah. <laughs> like, what more could you yeah, want? Exactly. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, um, no. If you guys can, please, um, yeah, please do donate. And you know, I think the tea's interchangeable for coffee. They said that if you want the oh, coffee no instead, you can have a year supply of coffee. Yeah, oh, yeah, great, I mean, that. So. Cool. Um, you can do coffee. How much, do I, how much do I need to pay to win? I'm on it. <laughs> Just got to put a question in, mate, and donate yeah. if you want to. All that money you make um, on Twitter, he's all that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, oh, I'm so rich from people making Club jokes. Yeah. yeah. 
Russell, you know, you were our first guest that we ever had on this podcast. I, I still remember when... Um, and now I'm we... your last. It's your last episode. <laughs> I can't believe it. What a shame. All oh, right. book ended that way. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, um, I think it is an honour, isn't it, Thrusha, yeah, to have Russell on again? I mean... Um, yeah. Yeah, you were the first. I mean, we, we weren't even sure about what we were doing with the podcast, let alone have guests. And then, you know, we, yeah, we invited you on. You were, you were really great to have on. And um, yeah, you, you did your own episode with Mahu, who's claimed to be busy today. I know. He's like, oh, I'm busy. I know. Like, yeah, right. I you, know. Yeah, right, the, 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 the second double act of Two Medics has split up at the very first opportunity <laughs> yeah. to come back. Yeah. We should do that again. We should do that again, you guys. I, I really enjoyed that episode. But um, no, thank you, Russell, again for, you know, wasting your evening on us. Yeah. Um, and uh, thank you, everyone for listening it's been a, another eventful week uh, on med twitter let's try and be friends this week should we say yeah. let's try and stay out of each other tr- trouble that's not gonna happen <laughs> come on oh, why can't we just all get along that's all i want everyone to do and we just have a, a nice when I was episode in middle school i just want to bake a cake and we can all eat a slice she doesn't even go here sorry mean girls references <laughs> i love mean girls we can let's talk about mean girls after this never seen it yeah um you haven't seen okay we have to talk about mean girls after this there's and a fundraiser, just if you pay enough money, Farusha will have to watch Mean Girls oh and video himself doing it. We should do that. We should do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we should do that. I mean, it's not all about Batman, Farusha. You know, Mean, Girl is a ser- mean Girls is a serious film that you need to watch. Seriously. Anyway, everyone, have a great week. Stay out of trouble, and let's all be friends. All right. Bye. And you've been listening to Two Medics and One Mike with Imran Lasker and Farusha Gwadna. Thank you for listening.